Good morning, everyone, and please be seated. It's our time for corporate prayer, so join with me as I pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can come together once again as your church in this place and at this time to worship you, to praise you, to hear your word preached and to be blessed by the fellowship we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father God, we thank you. We pray for those who are not here with us today, especially those who are absent due to personal or family illness or other handicap or impediment. We pray for your peace and your comfort to be with them and that they may be free from spiritual, emotional and physical distress. We ask that prayers for healing will be answered, as will prayers for your comfort, your leading, your guidance and direction. And we pray that each one of us or each one of those who are struggling will sense your presence with them and your love and compassion for them. Father, we pray for the suffering in other parts of the world. With media and communication these days, such suffering is brought before us almost in real time, within the comfort of our own homes. Father, at times we can feel overwhelmed by the frequency and the amount and the extent of such suffering, and that it never seems to stop. Help us not be become indifferent to it or numbed by it all. Help us to continue to pray for an end to such suffering, whether due to natural causes or by man's inhumanity towards his fellow man. And so today, Father, we pray for peace, for comfort and for help for all those who are suffering in this time. Father, we pray for your leading and your guidance and your encouragement for this, our church, and for each one of us of every age, as we try to follow Jesus. Lead and guide us, we pray. Do we focus on knowing Christ and making him known? Should we be loving our neighbours, whoever and wherever they may be and whatever their needs? Should it be our fellowship or our mission? How do we use the spiritual gifts you've given us for our church to grow and become stronger and impact the world around us? Help us, Father. Help us, Father, please, to know your will for us. And finally, Father, we pray for all who serve in our church, no matter what their role, for those who teach, for those involved with worshipping you, for those who pray, for those who lead, and for those who serve in other ways. Please, Father, continue to bless and encourage each one of us who serves in this church. And we ask these things this morning, in the name of Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. Amen. Thank you, Richard. I want to add my amen to that. Amen. This is Jesus' church, uh, and he leads and he guides us, and we should, yes, be praying, Lord, how can we be used uh, to better your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to be here. Uh, if you are new uh, to our church, my name is Sam Barnes. I'm the pastor here. It's an honour to be leading uh, this wonderful church. And I hope that uh, as you've been uh, mingling and chatting, you've had a real sense of the family that is the Hills Christian Family Centre. One of our focuses this year, we want to be uh, fellowshipping together, getting to know one another well, loving one another. And uh, it was just so wonderful before the service to 
drag people away from conversations to, to come and, and worship. It's just a, a sense of family together. And yeah, trust that you sense that as well. And if you're tuning in online, perhaps for the first time or uh, in the last couple of weeks, a, a huge welcome to you as well. Uh, trust that you also feel the Spirit's presence uh, as you watch this and you are very much part of our church as well. Uh, hello to you. So for those who are new, uh, you would not know this, but we have been doing a teaching series on the book of Acts, and uh, I've changed it to from your Bibles. You might have the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit because uh, Luke details the activity of the Spirit in people's lives as they uh, go on mission, as they live out the, the early church's life uh, together. So really it's not it's not focusing on the apostles. It's not putting a big name for them. In fact, it lowers who they are in the description of that. And it's all giving glory to God and it's all focusing on what the Spirit is doing in the church. And do you know the book of Acts is not a finished book? It kind of finishes unfinished. And I think it's on purpose because we're still in the book of Acts. The Spirit is still at work. The church is still growing. Uh, believers are still coming to faith. The Spirit is still working in people's lives to outwork the mission of God in our world. And that's what we're focusing on and doing as we go through this teaching book of Acts. So if you do have your Bibles with you, we encourage you to have them open because we're, we've been going through pretty much chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Acts. And it's been, it's been a thrilling time. Who, who's really enjoyed the book of Acts? Yeah. I've, I've really gained some, some new insights as I've been studying it myself as well. And so because um, some of you are new, I'm just going to spend the next two hours just recapping where we've come from. <laughs> no, just joking. Um, actually, we're, we are almost at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Um, so Paul was sent out from Antioch as he was on all of his missionary journeys. Uh, he's, he's come across Asia, he spent most of his time in Ephesus um, and building the church there. And, and f- for the rest of the, the chapters that we're going to be doing today, Luke fast forwards, fast forwards through this whole place uh, on their road to Jerusalem. And so that's what we're going to do. But I want to just go back to Acts chapter 20 before we begin this morning, because this really couches our whole word for this morning. We're going to be talking about the will of God. We're going to be talking about suffering. And this verse that Paul speaks about in Acts chapter 20 really sort of gets us going for the, the word this morning. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, says Paul. He's got his face turned towards Jerusalem, just like Jesus did. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Every city that Paul visited on his journeys, the Holy Spirit kept saying to him, hardships are facing you. Prison awaits you in Jerusalem. Every city, imagine that. 
But then he says this most amazing thing. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Man, if you need a verse to put up on your mirror to look at each morning, perhaps it needs to be that one that we would join with Paul and say, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And this is it, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. That's what we're about as a church, giving testimony to the good news of God's grace. So Paul has this desire to head to Jerusalem. All through his missionary journey, he, he knows he's going to go there. He knows what, what's facing him. And number one, we know that Paul actually collected an offering uh, for the Jerusalem church, for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Uh, they sold everything in Acts 2. Do you remember? They, they sold everything and gave it to the poor, and then famine and hardship happened. So the poor saints in Jerusalem are now without property and without wealth, so they're collecting a collection for the church in Jerusalem. So probably he's wanting to get to Jerusalem because he's, his pockets are heavy. You ever tried carrying lots of gold and silver in your pockets? He's, maybe his pants are starting to fall down or something. So he's, he's longing to get to Jerusalem, but also Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And if you read the, particularly the book of Romans, you see this heart he has for the Jewish people. He was Jewish to the core. And he has been transformed by God's grace. And he knows that it's no longer works that saves, but it's by grace alone. And he wants this message to go into his people into his culture, into the heart of who he is. So he has this burning desire to go to Jerusalem. He, in the same way that he's seen millions of people come to faith in the Gentile world, he wants to see a, a, a revival in the Jewish culture. He has this heart, and so he has his heart faced to Jerusalem. But I wonder, what would it have been like to be Paul's travelling companion on his missionary journeys? I mean, he was a pretty full-on guy when you read the accounts. He was pretty determined. Uh, he, you know, didn't hold any punches back. He, he, was, he said what he needed to be said. And if trouble, trouble happened to him in every city, but if he believed that trouble was going to be at the end and you're his travelling companion, I think you're thinking, well, if you know, something happens to Paul, it's probably likely to happen to us. And we see a bit of that in the passage this morning. So let's have a look at it. Acts chapter 21. After we, so they've been in Ephesus, they'd met with the Ephesian elders and Paul just pours his heart out partially to the, the, to the Ephesians because he loves the church there. And after we'd torn ourselves away from it, isn't that a great picture of fellowship? Great picture of love for one another. And I just want to see this in our church that we just have to be torn away from one another. We put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patra. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia and went aboard and set sail. So, so Luke's fast-forwarding on his way to Jerusalem. After sighting Cyprus and passing through the south of it, we sailed to Syria and we landed in Tyre. 
where our ship was about to be unloaded of its cargo. And we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them for seven days. Now, what I love about the book of Acts is that it shows that God's activity was not limited to Paul or to Peter or to James or to Philip because there were believers there entire. Now, nowhere in the New Testament does it say that any activity or missionary journeys went to Tyre. And yet there is a church there, there are believers there. Uh, so God's doing more than what we just see in the book of Acts. Right? In fact, we've just got a snippet of the activity that was going on. Other disciples at Pentecost went out back to their homes and, and setting up churches. So there are disciples there entire. And they stayed with them for seven days. And through the Spirit, they urged Paul. Now, that's a very interesting word in the Greek. It's the continual. So it means constantly they urged him. So having breakfast, hey, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Having lunch, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Having tea, Paul, remember what I said to you at lunchtime? Don't go to Jerusalem. (laughs) So they are continually urging Paul through the Spirit. Notice that it says that. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. And after saying goodbye to each other, we set aboard the ship and returned home. Again, they've only been with each other seven days. And yet there's this fellowship, there's this kindred spirit, there's this sense of being together that they would, they would walk them to the ship and they would kneel on the beach and they would hug each other and kiss each other and pray. It feels like, ever been to a youth camp, youth, where you've been with someone for like three or four days and you feel like they're your best friends and you don't want to be pulled away from them? That's what's going on here uh, as, as Paul and his missionary friends are pulled away from the church entire. So... We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Palamas, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for one day. Again, another church there, but now they're staying with them for one day. And leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, we know about Philip from Acts chapter 8. Philip, the evangelist, who... uh, who helped the Ethiopian eunuch come to understand uh, words of Isaiah and baptised him there. And then who knows what happened to Philip after that? He got, yeah, Soren Soren says I missed a trick when we preached on that one. What about the bit where Philip just disappears and ends up in Caesarea? Well, he's in Caesarea still, and this is some 20 years later from that point in Acts. Often we read through Acts and think, oh, it's just the next day, the next day. But 20 years has passed. Uh, Philip is, is ministering in Caesarea and he has four unmarried daughters. And what a cool name, Philip the Evangelist. Wouldn't that be a great name to have, that you would be an evangelist known for sharing the gospel? Fun fact, I didn't know this, but uh, three of his daughters... The mentioned here grew up to be in their 90s and our early church fathers who wrote much of our church history interviewed these daughters and got facts about the early church. So Philip's daughters were actually used to help us understand the early church and our church history. So I didn't know that. 
And it was probable that Luke himself got his preaching material, or sorry, his writing material for Acts about Philip and about the Ethiopian eunuch at his time here staying with him in his house. So there they are staying with Philip. Uh, he's got four daughters who prophesy, and a, a prophecy is about to come. And I just find it crazy that the, well, you've got four prophets. Why not just give the prophecy through one of these daughters? But no, someone else had to come in and dramatise this thing that was going to happen to Paul. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, we've learnt about Agabus earlier in Acts, he, he predicted a famine coming upon Jerusalem. He came down from Judea, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, so his pants would have truly fallen down there with it. <laughs> he, he took Paul's belt, he tied it around his own hands and his feet, and he said, the Holy Spirit says... In this way, Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So Agabus comes and he gives this prophetic word to Paul and he does it in a dramatic way. He takes his belt. He does an object lesson. And you might think, well, that's a bit dramatic sort of doing that. Why don't you just just say it? Uh, He's actually following many Old Testament prophets would do this. Uh, many of you would know, as if you've read the Old Testament, of some of the examples. Uh, Elijah took, tore the garments. Uh, Isaiah was our first recorded streaker in the Bible. He stripped naked and ran down the street to prove a point. Ezekiel built a, 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 a model of Jerusalem and smashed it up to say what was going to happen. So prophets like to dramatise and and say things in in a profound way. But not only was it delivered dramatically, but the content was done in such a way that it caused the people who heard this word to say, when we heard this, we, that is Luke, and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Man, if... If, if chains and prison and flogging is, is ahead of you, Paul, we don't want this for you. Maybe because they love him and they want to see him continue to do missionary work. Maybe there's that sense of, hey, if this happens to Paul, maybe it's likely to happen to us. Paul, don't go. I think I'd probably be in that camp, wouldn't you? I'd rather pursue comfort than suffering. And so there's this sense of pleading, don't go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered in a typically Paul way, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Am I not ready to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus? Wow. Not only am I willing to be bound but to also die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, in this passage, I don't know if you've noticed, in fact, if we include the chapter that I started with in Acts chapter 20, there's four times that there's known that Paul is going to be finding trouble in Jerusalem. So he himself says it. He says he's compelled by the Spirit to go, but he knows that trouble awaits him. 
the, the disciples at Tyre continually urge him not to go. Agabus comes and says this is going to happen. And now his own best friends and travelling companions. You'd think, you know, the, the last line of defence for Paul, surely you guys are with me as well. Oh, no, you're not as well. Now they are saying, don't go. Don't go. Don't go. Now many have asked the question, did Paul disobey the will of God? Because four times it's described that trouble awaits you. If you go there, this is going to happen to you. And we might think, well, maybe at the moment we might have felt that way. Surely Paul has had this most amazing ministry life, started churches, planted churches, written letters. Surely it would be better for Paul to stay alive, to have more life, to plant more churches, to do more good, to write more letters than to go suffer and ultimately uh, be beheaded in Rome later on. Or... Is the spirit confused? It's another thing we might ask of the text. Do you remember Paul said, it is by the spirit that I am convinced that I must go, and now the spirit is saying through the disciples that this is going to happen. So is is there a confliction? No, because the message is consistent. The message is the same. And it's the same with the things of the Spirit in the church. It is, there is always unity in the message. When we come together and someone feels like they've got a word from the Lord, one good way to test it is do other people have that same sense? Is this sitting right with the body? If one person's sticking out like a th- sore thumb, that might be a good, good way of <laughs> deciding whether this is from the Lord or not, because the message is the same, that Paul is going to suffer in Jerusalem. Paul is going to suffer in Jerusalem. Paul is going to suffer. Trials away. So the, the message is consistent. What's perhaps different is the way that the message is used and interpreted. And that's where we need to be careful when, when we have a word for each other or uh, we have a sense of what the God is leading us in his will for our lives. Sometimes we might have a picture, we might have a word, we might have a verse, and that might be from God, but sometimes a bit of humanness comes in. And I think that's what's happening here for, the, for his travelling companions. They're interpreting it with this humanness of, I don't want to suffer. I don't want that to be my fate as well as Paul's fate. Therefore, I'm going to interpret this word as don't go. So Paul uh, sees this as a a prediction, as a preparation for what's going to happen rather than a preventative word. And so... With the Spirit and when the Spirit speaks, there is always unity. I don't know if you've ever had this, this case happen or you might have heard it. I've heard it a few times where perhaps there's a couple uh, in the church and one of them gets this sense from the Lord that the Lord's calling them to something, but they don't want to tell the other person because they think that they're going to say no. And so they hold it to themselves so that the, the word's spoken and there's this thing in their heart. And then finally they, they say, oh, 
the Lord's burning this thing in my heart. I'm really feeling like the Lord's calling us to, to this ministry or to an area or whatever. And then the other person goes, the Lord said that to me too, but I didn't want to say it either. <laughs> Have you ever had that situation happen? It's a great example of the, there's, a, there's a unity in the message, the consistency of the Spirit's message to us. There's never a confliction. And so when he, that is Paul, could not be dissuaded, they gave up. Now, they didn't give up as in, oh, okay, have your way. But they came to the conclusion, the Lord's will be done. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment and talk about the Lord's will in the context of this passage. Because some would say, well, the Lord's will would be for Paul to live longer. But I want to say, God knows the bigger picture. God sees the beginning and the end, and we in our lives only see the moments that we're in right now. And sometimes the moments that we're in seem hard. Sometimes the moments that we're in seem confusing. Sometimes the moments in our lives right now mean that there's trial, there's pain, there's rejection, yet God knows the bigger picture and God is going to use those things, Romans, God works together in all things for those who love him, to bring about his will and his purposes not only in your life but in the kingdom. Imagine if Paul didn't go to Jerusalem and didn't end up on trial and end up on house arrest in Rome. He wouldn't have read the prison, written the prison epistles. Imagine countless of Christians worldwide living without Ephesians chapter 6, the, the armour of God. Joe wouldn't have been able to do her kids' spot this morning from Philippians 4 unless Paul went to Rome and wrote those words under house arrest. See, Paul suffered a little time and it had a little influence in the world around him, yet God knows the bigger picture, friends, and the bigger influence that Paul would have not only on the people that would come and visit him and to the churches that he'd write to, but the Christian church worldwide because Paul didn't let the idea of suffering and trial get in the way of saying yes to God's will. He did not let suffering and trial get in the way of saying yes to God's will. Sometimes I think, why doesn't God reveal more of his will in our lives? Come on, come on, Lord, show me, show me our future. Show me my, my purposes in, in life. And I wonder maybe it's because we don't have the stomach to handle it. Maybe we don't have the character of Paul that would say, I'm willing to go and die for the sake of the gospel. After all, isn't that what Jesus himself said to his disciples? John 16, in this world you will have trouble. It's kind of an expectation. So if coming to faith means that life is going to be rosy and perfect and surreal and peaceful and comfort, then maybe we've got a confused understanding of what the gospel actually is. 
Because when we come to faith, maybe our friends are going to reject us. Maybe it's going to be hard when we, we go forward into the things of God and the mission that he has for us when, when people slander us. When close friends and family like Paul say, don't go, and they're the ones holding us back. In fact, often when it comes to the big things of God in your life, it's your close friends who probably hinder you the most because they know your character and they think that can't be possible. I know that that happened in my life when I got called into ministry. There were close friends and family that looked at me, said, well, he can't talk, he's a bit of a rebel, Uh, he's not got his life together very much, how could he end up being a pastor? But it was the people at Bible college that, you know, They've had, they've had this situation happen before. A, a rough person come and they hear the word and God's spirit works and it transforms them lives and, yeah, God does miraculous things through weak people. Yeah, that's pretty normal. Sometimes it's our friends and family that hold us back from actually living in the bigger things of God that he has for us. So Jesus says trouble awaits. And, in fact, speaking of Jesus, if we look at this situation of Paul, it's very similar to Jesus' own life, the way that he lived. The word says that, that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He was ministering in, in the, the, the Judea and, 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 and that, and then he knew that his time had come to go to the cross and he sets his face towards Jerusalem and Paul had his face towards Jerusalem and that Paul said that he would suffer when he got there. Jesus said he must suffer and die, and Peter said, no, you won't. In the garden, Jesus prays, take this cup, and yet he says, not my will but yours be done. When they couldn't dissuade Paul, they said, Lord, your will be done. Jesus in Jerusalem is arrested and put on trial. So is Peter. He's thrown into prison. So So is Peter. But Jesus never wavers from the will of God despite the impending suffering, and same with Paul, and so should be with us. Oswald Chambers famously said, no healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. I mean, no one says, I want suffering in my life. I'm going to go after it. He chooses God's will. And as as Jesus said, to choose God's will, whether it means suffering or not. See, God's will for your life might mean suffering, it might not. But whatever we do, we choose God's will for our life. So Paul gets to Jerusalem. One of his bucket lists probably was for Luke as well, because I don't think Luke had visited Jerusalem up until this point. Probably heard about it, heard about the great place that it was. So um, continuing on from verse 17. And when we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day Paul and the rest of us went to see James. Now this is James, uh, Jesus' half-brother, who is now taken on leadership of the Jerusalem church. A lot of people think Peter was the leader of the Jerusalem church, but no, it was James. And all of the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So this is, this is great. 
they heard it and praised God. Hallelujah. Like, feel good music is happening behind the scene here right now. Paul's in Jerusalem. He meets the Jerusalem church, the Jewish Christians. He's finally with them and he says, the Gentile world are coming to faith. This is amazing. This is awesome. And when they heard it, yeah, they praise God. And then in the middle of this verse, we have a, the music changes. Not quite Jaws music, but kind of a bit more ominous music because what happens after this is a bit crazy. And they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. So, Paul, you've been in the Gentile world. That's, that's great, and your church has grown. Here in, the, in, the, in Jerusalem, you know, we've been doing church too, and many Jews have believed. That's good. But they are very zealous for the law. The law is a huge thing for, for the Jewish culture. And come to faith that you're saved by grace, not by works, not by the law, not by what you do, would be a, a huge turnaround in thinking. But these, these messianic Jews, these Christians in the Jewish world, are coming to faith, but they're still holding on to the law. The culture is so strong for them. And then comes this report of Paul, and it's kind of gossip. We, they, the people who have come to faith here in Jerusalem, have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live amongst the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or living according to our customs. Now, is this true? We don't see this anywhere in the book of Acts. This is, this is gossip. This is something saying bad, bad talking Paul. It's not true. What should we do? So they come up with this plan. What's going to be the plan? The plan is to get Paul to be, look very Jewish. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He, he normally participated in all the customs and all the things of the Lord. So, so the Jerusalem leaders come up with this plan. They say, you are to take four men with us who have made a vow. They're going to do, do these cleansing rites and take these men and join the purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved this is uh, part of a Nazarene uh, tradition. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in accordance with the law. As for Gentile believers, we have written to them in our decision, we, we heard about this in Acts chapter 15, that they should abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And so the next day, Paul took the men and purified them along with them and he had them go into the temple and give notice of the date when these purifications would end and the offering would be made for each and every one of them. And I look at that and I go, Paul, what are you doing? <laughs> You've come to an understanding of the gospel of grace and it now it looks or it appears as though you're sort of going back into works. You're going back under the law, back in, going back into the old practices and customs that we know now that the, the Christian church is now breaking away from. And I, I, I think, why? Well, Paul understands that there is no power in these customs, that there is no power in the law. He knows 
that is only by the cross of Jesus, that by his blood that we are saved. We are made righteous before God through Jesus and nothing else. No law, no custom makes us better, makes us more right. No tradition makes us more right. It's only Jesus. So he knows that there's no power in any of these things. In fact, Paul himself in Corinthians writes these words. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, this is an example, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. So he participated in the culture and in the traditions in order that he might win them to Christ. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though myself I am not under the law. Puts in that caveat. It it has no power. Uh, So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. It's not saying I was just lawless and just went around having parties. No, though I am free, not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law as to win those not having law. So to those Jews in Jerusalem, he acted and did what was necessary for them not to have a hiccup, not to have a hurdle to actually hearing the truth. And sometimes in our lives, we, through the way we act, we, we become hurdles to people hearing God's grace. Maybe we need to become like others, not to actually be like them in in lawlessness, in order to win them. To the weak I became weak in order to win them. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. You know, Paul understood that We have faith, we have a new life because of what Jesus has done for us. Not because of the law, not because of our works, not because of our good doing, not because of our church attendance, not because of our Bible study, not because of our serving in a ministry, not because of our observing whether the Sabbath is a Saturday or a Sunday, not because of we can, I can go on and go on. Because sometimes we think that doing those things makes us more right than other people. I know I've felt like that sometimes. We are only made right with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And so Paul goes along with these things going, it's not going to make them more right. It's not going to make me more right. It has no power. But I'm willing to do those things in order to win people to the true gospel of Jesus, that it is about him, what he has done for you. He has taken away our sin. He has nailed it to the cross. He has buried it in his death. He's raised to new life, and we have new, our new creation in him, in Christ Jesus. That was his message that he preached to the Gentiles, and that's the message that he preached to the Jewish community by participating in his Jewish customs. No amount of good works is going to make us more right with God. Christ is enough for you 
Christ is enough for me. He has done everything possible to make you pure and blameless in his sight, to be changed and transformed into his likeness and to be brought into his family and to have community with the church and to have a hope for the future that cannot be taken away. And I think this is what Paul held on to most. You know, the will of God for your life, I don't know what that might hold. It might hold trials. It might be hard. You might not notice what's happening for you right now is part of God's bigger picture, and he's going to unveil that in time. But I do know for certain and with promise that God's will for your life is to be with him forever. And that was the same for Paul. Didn't matter if suffering was ahead of him in Jerusalem. Didn't matter if his life was going to end because he knew ultimately his home was with Christ and that nothing can take that away. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your cross. We thank you, Lord, that you know the bigger picture in our lives. Sometimes we can't understand, we can't make sense of what's happening right here and right now. And sometimes we have the voices of those maybe even closest to us, friends and family, contradicting and saying one thing that maybe isn't your will. Lord, help us to hold on to and have a heart like Paul's that was willing to say, whatever is ahead of me, Lord, your will be done. Lord, would you use these circumstances and these things that are happening in my life right now to unveil your bigger picture for your bigger plan for my life. And Lord, I believe that there's huge plans that you've got for every single person here. And that, Lord, even potentially right now that you're calling people back to yourself, that you're calling people potentially into a a new ministry opportunity or a new sense of uh, living out their faith more prominently and boldly in their workplace. Lord, that's your will for their lives. And so, Lord, help us to hold on to that, not to seek our own comfort and our own peace, but to walk hand in hand with you day by day in the power of the Spirit to live out your purposes here on earth and that we can truly say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, I just pray for your blessing on everyone here and that you would continue to speak and open up your plans and purposes for each and every one of us. And as Richard prayed, for our church, would you lead us? Would you give our church words and visions and dreams of what you're calling us to? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was preparing for this morning, Sue asked what would be a good song to sing, and this song just straight away came to mind. Because it talks about through every storm, I'm going to hold on to you. Where every trial, I'm going to still trust in you. Because we know that Christ is enough for us. It's his blood and it's his righteousness that we have that enables us to live out our Christian faith. So can I encourage you to stand? And maybe in response to this morning, maybe during this song, 
you might just want to open up to the Lord and say, Lord, as you spoke to Paul, speak to me. Lord, make sense of this craziness that I'm going through right now. Help me to trust in you that you see the bigger picture, that you're going to work for good for, for those that love him. Would you pray as you sing for God to give you a vision of your future? Maybe God's calling you to something bigger and brighter and better than right now. So let's use this time, this song, to just hear from the Lord. And you might even have a word for a person next to you or a person across the road. Just feel free to just say, hey, I feel like the Lord wants to say this to you. And feel free to do that as we sing. Thanks, Sam, for speaking with great clarity. Uh, I trust there's something that we can all lay hold of in what we've heard this morning. We're going to uh, just move to a time of fellowship and catching up over a coffee. The opportunity still exists if you've got a word to share with someone to just pull them aside and share that word. If you've come this morning and want prayer too, uh, the prayer room's just there on your right. Um, our team will be there uh, ready, willing and able to just um, sit with you and pray about anything that you'd like to bring before the Lord. Um, And I just thought to close I'd share a scripture. I I read it earlier this morning um, and I thought if it fitted the message it might be good to share and I reckon it does. Uh, it's kind of well known, it's Proverbs 3, 5 and the usual translations, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, he'll make your path straight. I thought I might read in the message version, sometimes good to sort of hear it spoken a bit differently and it perhaps can be speaks to you even more deeply. So I'll read it to you and then we can uh, just spend some time together. So it, it starts here, yeah, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust the Lord from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one that will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. I'll leave you that thought. Thanks. God bless you all.